Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm here with Professor Alan Stein and Dr. Elena Netzi from Oxford University, and they've both spoken today um, kind of on perinatal mental illness and on postnatal depression and on work here in the UK and on work internationally. Really fantastic talks, I thought, both of you. Um, Elena, do you want to kind of give us a bit of an overview of your work in this field? Sure. Um, So... uh Perinatal depression has been a core theme for the child and adolescent psychiatry section. I've been part of the team for 10 years, and the focus has really been around understanding understanding a little bit more about the effects of perinatal depression and perinatal mental health problems on children's development, understanding who we, sh- we should be targeting and what sort of treatments would support both the mother and the child in this difficult time. And some of the research you're presenting today has got some really interesting data on the um, the kind of impact of having depression at certain periods of time through your pregnancy. Do you want to give us a bit of a picture of that? Sure. So there's a lot of literature out there suggesting that postnatal depression impacts negatively on children's development, and that ranges from early childhood to middle childhood to late adolescence. But what we wanted to look at is whether there's a group of women that should be really prioritised for treatment and for whom the effects on children might be increase compared to the rest of the population. And this was partly in relation to data coming out in the literature suggesting that brief episodes of depression, although quite distressing to the mother, might not really ne- negatively impact on children's development. And we were able to show through the data exactly that, that there is a group for which treatment should be prioritized, and that's women who experience persistent and severe depression. That is depression that lasts beyond the first six months in the personal year. And they should be really prioritized for treatment to both limit the impact of depression on their well-being but also the exposure of children to depressive symptoms in that first year but actually for the uh, for women who had experienced depression that was non-persistent even at different levels of severity that did not translate into risks for their children in the long-term outcomes that we looked at so that's really reassuring that it doesn't invariably mean that there may be impact on children's development although we should say that women should seek treatment, they should speak to their GP for their own mental well-being about this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really interested in postnatal depression in dads. I had postnatal depression as a new dad a few years ago, um, and I looked at the research, and there was none, <laughs> or very little, um, some small qualitative studies. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that, do you think? I think... Women have been primarily considered the primary caregiver and a very important part in the relationship and the upbringing of the children, and so fathers have been uh, a secondary thought. But actually, research that we did in the the department also showed that it was harder to engage men in research and to get them to speak about their depression and the difficult time they were going. And that's partly because we haven't done enough enough work raising the profile of this in society and talking about this. Uh, and we needed to address it in a different way and, and approach men in a different way to talk about this. But they're a very key part, and as Alan said in his presentation, they're a key part for children's development both early and late in childhood and adolescence, and uh, a key also pillar to supporting the family through a difficult time. Yeah. Can I add something there? Yeah, of course. So one of our colleagues, Paul Ramchandani, who worked in our department yeah, with both of us, you, yeah. um, has done a lot of work in this area with us, and he's led on it, uh, which showed that... that um, firstly, paternal depression isn't uncommon, probably not as common as, as, as depression in mothers, but probably about half as common, which is still, which is actually still very common, and that it in itself can have effects on 
the child, but also it has effects on the mother as the mother's depression has effects on the father. So it's a complex picture, but it, I think what it suggests that it needs a family approach, a systems approach, and we need to not just isolate one person. And in all these things, I think we, we've got to be very careful to avoid blaming anybody, but to think, how do you find solutions? How do we help people? Depression, psychological problems are common. And I think that the most important thing is we, must, we need to make people feel empowered to report their difficulties and to get help, because there is help available. And I think one of the things that Eleanor's article so beautifully illustrated is that you, we can identify the people who are most at risk, and therefore we can get them help uh, as they need help and stop um, the, the, the longer-term effects. Uh, in some work we've done ourselves, we showed that you can treat people who've got persistent and severe depression very effectively. So I think, you know, if you have problems, um, see your GP, talk to your health assistant. It's not always easy. We know that. And sometimes we know that people take a while to do that. But if one can have the courage to report it uh, and to, 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 to share your, your, your concerns and your, your difficulties with your healthcare providers at whatever level, that could really make a big difference. And there is help available. Is what's happening in the UK around perinatal mental illness reflected in what happens internationally? Well, I think, as Eleanor said in the talk, in the States there is probably more like it. There isn't really a primary healthcare system quite the way there is here. So it's very much a more secondary and tertiary case. They don't have GPs and certainly no such thing as health visitors, which is a real uh, pity. So, it, Which means that I think they, they do have psychological therapies, but they're perhaps more likely to use medication. Um, but there are other places that do have it. Um, and interesting, low-middle-income countries, there aren't um, these sorts of carers, but there are primary health care care providers in some situations in India and Pakistan elsewhere. There are some people who work in villages who have some responsibility and there is some experience now of training people like that to deliver therapies. We have done work like this in, in, in Southern Africa and find that, that it looks very optimistic It that you can train people who are non-specialists without specific training in, in this area um, to deliver specific interventions with good effect. And what's the prevalence and incidence of these kind of disorders in other other countries? Well, I think um, in high-income countries, it's, I think it's generally thought to be around 10%. In low-middle-income countries, where there's more socioeconomic adversity, the rates are probably as close to double to that. So that's very important to take account of. And I think there's always been a thought that maybe people in low-middle-income countries don't experience as much depression for some reason, but that's not true. They do, and they probably have um, the risk. There are many more risks they face. There are many more struggles that people face. We know that, you know, the kinds of things, socioeconomic hardship, day-to-day um, -day struggles, difficulty getting jobs, food insecurity. These are all important things in depression. And if you have those sorts of difficulties, the risks are higher, and that's why they are. A lot of this Oxford psychiatry meeting is about kind of looking back at what's happened over the last 50 years, but we're also kind of obviously excitedly looking forward about what's happening. What are your um, most exciting um, thoughts about mental health research and where we're going? What are you really looking forward to doing over the next few decades? So I think I'm towards the end of my career, hopefully not that quite toward, but for me, it's not the rocket science. That is very interesting and very important because that might deliver new therapies. But at the moment, there are psychological therapies that work and it's getting, peop getting them out to people and this idea of IAPT 
or low income countries, non-specialist healthcare workers, really providing a much wider base of available therapy for people. And I think what we're moving towards much more is destigmatizing mental health. That I think five, ten years ago, the idea that that we would be talking openly, like we are quite to the same extent about depression, anxiety, and people acknowledging these sorts of issues, it's 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 it, it, it's not as common. Um, but now I think we're much more open. I think we're moving towards. Um, we're a long way from it, but we're moving towards the idea with physical illnesses. You wouldn't be shy to mention yet a particular physical illness, and I think we're moving that way, where mental illnesses will be not recorded as stigmatized or something as one's fault, but that's a common problem that many people experience. And I think a lot of celebrities, while I have mixed feelings about some of the oversharing that goes on, I think it can be incredibly helpful when people out there stand up and say, "Actually, I also had this. I struggled." And I think people identify with that, and it can be incredibly helpful. So I think it's the destigmatization, making mental health as important and as out there as any other physical problem, and providing therapies for people as they need it. That's lovely. Thanks, Alan. Anything to add, Alan? Um, I'd just like to add, we've heard a lot about today about the vast amounts of data that's being collected and understanding, using that data to understand who would benefit from what treatment the most would really accelerate uh, the, the treatment. So, as Alan said, getting access to psychological therapies but also understanding what treatment would work better. So when you do see your GP, you can look at what's available and pick something that really would work for you. That's great. Thanks very much for talking to me. Really enjoyed your presentations today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.